Good evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have a special guest on. Everyone knows you, Lon, Lon Friend, who's been writing. We've been reading your words for years. How are you? Decades. Decades. Well, <laughs> you have to, you have to you have to uh, illustrate my my time on this planet. Decades. No, you don't. It's all. It doesn't matter. It's a drop of sand. Decades. Oh, life yeah. on this on this life on this rock planet rock. It's yeah. years. I know that <laughs> it's my I'm so I'm so into the cosmic calendar and how we're to quote my old friend uh, Bruce Dickinson, two minutes to midnight. That's where we are. That's where we're we are. about thirty seconds to midnight now. Oh, my calendar. Uh, yeah, especially yeah. in regards to your post this morning. That was uh Mother Earth, huh? That was a. Uh, yeah. I enjoy your I well, enjoy your posts. Thank thank you, man. I got um. I just feel uh, my heart is just so ravaged by the turn that our country's taken. And I've been so much about the goddess energy probably my whole life, but the last 25 years since I did, you know, Kundalini yoga and the, the sweet emotion part of my life is that uh, to understand that we really need to balance out the planet because we're way going too far left and too far right. So that's why I um, I made that post because I, I just got into the Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I just found <laughs> myself going down that going down the rabbit hole of the Handmaid's Tale. Oh, but, but you mentioned Benjamin Button, so everything with me What's, is an anecdote, right? I but I love that because I I feel that way. I, I think you have as many puns and antidotes as I've ever seen. I'm like that. I'm a dad and I'm an IT and I'm autistic, so I'm like that. But I love this, it that you've got these. This and, triggered this triggered a thought, a, a moment, and it, it was a moment. Uh, t- about twenty some odd years ago, I was doing some time at Interscope Records, and and A and M was merging <clears throat> with Geffen, and and I found myself as Chris Cornell's product manager. Now I had known Chris from Bad Motor Finger and Super Unknown days, right? But here he was releasing a solo record and um, doing something different. And uh, so I went to see him at the Wiltern Theater, a storied old theater on Wilshire and Western in Los Angeles, my Mm -hmm. hometown. And uh, I had a, you know, I had a green room pass and I was marching up the stairs and down the stairs just to say hi to people. And I'm on the stairwell and it's dank and there's there really aren't that many people it's concrete it's steel stairs it's behind uh where people traffic and i'm walking up and brad pitt is walking down and i pass him like this and i stop i go benjamin button (laughs) i just put (laughs) my thumb up and he stops me goes Thanks, man. And he reaches over and he shakes my hand and I tap my heart and I keep moving. I, I learned later that he and Chris were very good friends. Obviously, I didn't know that, but there's a reason why Brad Pitt is, is at a show. It's because he probably knows the artist. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, now I love that movie. I love that movie because it's about synchronicity and it's, it, and it's, it's such a mystical story. The, my, my favorite part of that film is, and it resonates with me because there are no accidents in, in, on this journey we're on. There's a point where the woman he loves 
a sequence of events takes place and she happens to be in the street when she's crashed into, which ends her essentially her career and hurts her life, changes mm -hmm. her life forever. But had she not paused and stopped and dipped into the shop and did all this, these multiple events, which was Jung, which what Jung called the confluence of events, it's that moment and that was it, right? So that really hits me. That film hit that scene hit me because that's kind of how my last, you know. 25 years of my life when I kind of uh, lost the structure and and the quest for fame and fortune, all that just kind of faded. And um, I began to understand that I really have no, I have no control over any of this. None. None of us do. Yeah. Anyway, so go on, well, Sean. I well, didn't mean to, well, to that point, actually, I um, before we spoke, I read both your books and I love them. I recommend them to people. Thank you. Um, First one is Life on Planet Rock, and then the second one is Sweet Demotion. And, and that one, actually, you'd think, me being a rock guy, I probably read every, millions of rock books. I love Sweet Demotion. That is like a beautiful book that I can go back and read again and again because, because I am old and I have a bad memory and I can remember things. No, 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 because it touches a lot and it touches on a lot of a generation. You know, I like to say the expression, you have like a leg on each side of the fence with this because... You know, it, it, it resonated with me, with certain parts of my life and music and, and what's really important and what's the truest part of the form of art. Just like you say, in a club, uh, the clubs are usually the grossest places ever. And there's no life and it's like, it looks like it should be like it's like a bomb shelter. But then you put an artist in there and you get a little bit of art and creativity the whole, and the whole place is aglow with energy and love. And when it's over, three hours later, when everything's pushed out, it's cold and heartless again. Because music... The, the bare love of music, not everything else around it, is 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 the core. There's something, and, Sean. There's a Taoist expression that the room is not, it's not the walls. The room is not, is not the structure oh. in the wall. It's what occupies the space in between. That's exactly what you just evoked. That and you, you're probably a closet Taoist like I am. I think if we had Lao yeah. a figure like Lao Tzu uh, running countries right now, we would be in a lot less trouble than we are. I'd be happy that, and maybe we could put like we could put Eckhart Tolle on on, the, on some committee or some, you know, we get him in there, and we get all those guys in there. They all okay. So you want a quick Eckhart Tolle? Anecdote? I'd love, I'd love okay, one. So there's there's two. First one is 2003. I'm just getting to Vegas during the beginning of my first exile, my divorce exile, where I leave LA for the first time. It's in the fall of 03. And I find myself at a Jane's addiction show mm -hmm. at the Orleans casino. And I make my way back and mostly to say hi to Perkins and to Navarro. And I mean, I know all the guys, but I've always felt fond of Perkins ever since we walked, we went through the Brandenburg gate together in 2000 oh, yeah. when he was seeing, when he was drumming with Tommy Lee's methods and mayhem, we made a 1 AM trek through the Brandenburg gate. I was at the rock and park in Nuremberg, Germany. Anyway. So here I, here, here I am now at a, uh, at a Jane's addiction concert. And, and I, I make my way back and I say hi to Dave and he's, he's, he's literally 
looking like the guitar guy that he is, shirtless, getting ready to take the stage with his guitar. I'm in the shadows and I'm right behind him. I go, he goes, Ma, what have you been doing? And I said, well, I'm kind of going through changes now, man. I'm, I'm like in the middle of kind of divorce and, and I've just moved here. He goes, how are you getting through it? I said, well, to be honest with you, um, I've been reading Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. And he yeah. stops me and he goes, that book could save the planet, man. It's exactly what you just kind of what you just said. Yeah. So here's a rock star saying, pausing me to say, I'm on the right path. I'm reading the right book. The second Eckhart Tolle story is this one. 2016, I believe it was, I'm at the Scorpions show at the joint in Las Vegas. This is my second desert exile that started after my mom passed in 2000, in, in August of 2010, 13, 2013, I moved back to Vegas and I'm at a show and I go to see shows here when I know the artists or I'm moved by the right. music. I, I don't go to envelope openings. I go to things that I feel <laughs> like I'll, I'll get something. So my, my, my two favorite members of Scorpions are, are, uh, are Klaus and Rudolph. I love Rudolph because Rudolph is in that sort of, he has that evolved sort of mystical brain. So I go into the dressing room and I, <clears throat> and I'm sitting with Rudolph and I said, uh, so what are the cool things that have been happening, man? Not just, not just the tour. He goes, Lon, the coolest thing, I had lunch with Eckhart Tolle. Wow. I said, where? Fly. He goes, in Germany. I said, oh, wow, what was that like? And I'm not going to paraphrase because I can't remember the exact phrases, yeah. but he said that he just, he really passed on to me that it was a very important moment. And not, not unlike, <laughs> this is so funny, Sean, not unlike 2016 Guns N' Roses and the cult Dodger Stadium, my daughter's with me. She's about to move to New York to work for the NRDC as an environment acti activist for the next several years. <clears throat> and we're backstage and there's, I don't see any members of Guns N' Roses and there's really no one walking me around and I'm not gonna see anybody, but I see Ian Asbury. And Ian Asbury is always, I've always enjoyed conversations with him because he's got that brain too. Yeah. You know, these are, it's like Lemmy and Rudolph, it, 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 they, they're thinkers and they're not you know, just gonna tell you small talk. You're gonna get into it with them. So uh, I'm, I've got my kid and I'm wearing, I swear, I'm wearing an Alan Watts t-shirt. Really? Now, and, and it's funny because nobody is going to, nobody stops me with an Alan Watts shirt, but Asprey comes out of his bunk, his, his, his trailer. Yeah. He's got the white robe on. He's just off stage and I'm wandering in and he goes, Doug, great shit. And I said, hey, Ian, this is my daughter, Megan. He goes, hello, Megan. And he said, she goes, Megan, do you like Alan Watts? And she goes, I love Alan Watts. My dad's turned me on. I, I, I listen to his YouTube lectures. And yeah. he goes, I had dinner with his son in London. And then he gets into a conversation 
And we're like, we're enwrapped with this conversation. And yeah. that was that was a significant moment. I'm with my daughter and Ian Asprey's talking about Alan Watts' son. Thank you. Obviously, uh, this isn't uh, normal stuff for a lot no, of fans. But no, it's not. But to me, that's fantastic. You get it, John. I get I, it. I, 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 it. It makes so much sense because... The yeah. power of so much of music that we bring is I think people overlook a lot of it. You know, you don't have to take it as whatever, but there's a reason for it. There's a lot. And, and the artists and one of the things, you know, everyone has their show. They're trying to do something. Mm -hmm. But for me, this is not a profit making show. Believe me, it's not anything about that. What this is. Like my writing talking. books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I suddenly, this is, comes out of my pocket. This is about my name's not on the show. It's nothing like that. It's me just loving the art and the, the creativeness. What's behind it? Who the, everyone's are real people and talking about real things, you know. And and these are the real things, you know. Alan Watts, that's so cool. Like, right you know, now. these are the things that are important in life. And and uh, Sean, the only reason I mentioned that is because the first thing you said to me was, "I'm reading Sweet Emotion," and I read the part about you having the book, yeah, the uh, with you. And that was the day that I had this incredible synchronicity of meditating in red rock canyon driving back to the to the to to my apartment and seeing the 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 marquee of the mandalay bay says yes 30th anniversary and i just i went like <laughs> and i turned my wheel i said what and i walk in i have no ticket i got a couple names to drop i had no idea it was that night but I'm a huge Yes fan. I, I, saw I yes. am too. I saw Yes 1975 at the Hollywood Bowl and the Tales of Topographic Oceans tour where they performed the entire double album, which John I, Anderson That's like my wrote, favorite album. That's my favorite album. John I Anderson wrote the lyrics inspired by the writings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Okay. <clears throat> Another one of those books, me and Steve Lukather, the autobiography of a yogi. Of course, George Harrison gave Luke his copy of the book. I cannot be so so no. so brazen to say I I got mine at the uh, at the at the Lake Shrine up on Sunset and Pacific Palisades while meditating there in two thousand. <laughs> anyway, so I like I I'm, I'm walking through the hall. I I go up to the box office. I drop a couple of names. They don't work. So I'm leaving. And oh my God, this is so synchronous with the passing of Alan White, the recent passing of Yes's great drummer, Alan White, mm -hmm. because I'm about to leave and this dude comes up to me, goes, Lon Friend. I go, hey, what's up? And he says, hey, it's so-and-so from, yeah, I bet you at Nam." I said, oh, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm Alan's drum tech. I said, you are oh oh I remember you man he goes he goes what are you doing I go well I wanted to see the show but he goes you are going to see the show and he just walks me in puts a VIP around laminate around my neck places me at the soundboard and I watched I mean this was Wakeman and Anderson and and the the late great Chris Squire the do you know that Chris Squire and John Entwistle share the same birthday. I didn't. Or 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 death day. Bro, oh, birthday. How weird is that? It is. I mean they they they're 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 both like giants, archetypes, four string, fat string avatars of their instrument. And yet 
because I was I was writing a thing for Entwistle on my post the other day at Instagram, and somebody posted something about oh yeah Chris Squire too, and I said what? Here's another weird thing, Sean. The Rainbow Bar and Grill, where I spent a lot of the '80s and '90s, it's not the same. They have Lemmy statue, but the spirit of the place is. I've the food, the food, the food isn't good anymore, and the prices are ridiculous. But whatever, it brings fan tourists love it because it gives them a taste of sunset in the right. 1980s and 90s. But Chris Squire used to sit at the front booth, at the front booth, and John Entwistle when he was in LA, yeah. he loved going to the Rainbow, and I think both of them. There are bass guitars somewhere on the ceiling hanging. I know Chris's and Ant Whistles maybe too. Anyway, that's what I do. I, I connect dots. Connect. Well, they, it, well I, I, I see. Well, I'm telling you earlier, I have autism, so I see a lot of connections, a lot. Um, so, so I appreciated their, your two books. And I want to preface with people, take, if you're just following along with us, take notes and you can go back and read his books and you'll kind of catch up a little bit. Um, about my book, books, very quickly, Sean. The first yeah. book, Life on Planet Rock, 2006. Yes, please. 7 By the way, 7-11 was released. 2000. I, I did not set on that date. Random House settled on that date. So yeah. that was kind of cause because I'm an 11 person. I wrote an 11 chapter in the second book. The second book came in 2011, was released, released in May. And I haven't been able, <laughs> I haven't been able to, to purge a third. Uh, the Sweet Demotion... Thank you for the compliment. It took it took a lot out of me. I do have hundreds of pages of disorganized notes. Uh, I've been the last few years very unfocused and just kind of treading sand. It's a term I like to use for being here in the desert. I've been treading sand and and evolving internally, externally. My productivity has not been that I great. I I have a friend who uh, who's who writes like a book a year. Greg Prado, P-R-A-T-O, and he he interviews me for a lot of his book because he writes about periods in rock history. Okay, yeah. And he's he's so prolific. I mean, he's so prolific. And my friend Harvey Kubernick puts out a coffee table book every year. He's got like 17 books. I got two books, and I'm really not sure if there'll be a third, maybe. Yeah, well, about there, sweet there pro- what about your promotion? Sweet promotion. This is it. You're moving up inside, emotionally and intergalactically. You're Silver Surfer. This is it. This is the, the, Sean, that's what I talk about. Silver surfer. That is that's what I'm talking about. I'm not gonna die. I'm gonna be the silver surfer. This is it. I'm gone. Galaxy. This the snakeskin is gone. We're done. This is just nothing. You know? I'm right there with you, brother. This is just something. And but, my way. Yeah, and, 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 but is in the second book. So, like the first book called you, you you've been the gatekeeper. I know it's a little reference there for you. you it mm. comes in and it talks about. And, and you could have gotten the best last, best last name because you are a friend of rock. You're a friend of people. You're very open, and that's what's led you to be who you are, you know. And through kindness, and your love of music, and everything's unfolded from there, you know. Looking at yeah. your books and looking at your life and watching you, and, and to that point though, you growing and sharing your ups and downs. And you read a lot of books. You don't always hear the downs. No one ever looks bad right. in their books. You you laid out there. Well, I feel bad these times. I'm reading. I feel. I feel all the emotions. Everything. I feel well, up and down. I feel sad. I'm worrying about you know this and that. And I, I think you know. I got out of there. How kind you are. How much you. How. How you know. How do you, well, do you care about your ex and how you look? If, your daughter. You're, 
my daughter's number one in my she life. And I, I confess I haven't had a girlfriend in over 10 years. It's I'm a Leo. I kind of like roam the pride lands. Um, I go out and take trips to keep myself, you know, engaged, but I really kind of in an existential sense, I'm a private person. Uh, and I wrote, I've written many taglines for if I ever do write a third book, well, I have so much material, but it would be, the uh, the loud life of a quiet man, essentially. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, I've got some titles, good titles, heavy mental. <laughs> I actually like the first one, though, because I think there's... It, well, that would be the subhead, the loud the sub-head, life heavy of mental. a quiet <laughs> Heavy mental. I, 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 do, I, do, I do love the, the puns there. That's good. But I think you have a lot to offer still i think yeah. this journey of yours yeah and, you, I, you know thank thank you for saying that i i, I really am uh i'm going to be 66 in a month and i i i i appreciate how i'm thought of I've, i'd say this to people when they say why aren't you on tinder doing why aren't you dating i said well i am loved i just don't have lovers but i'm loved and sometimes without the drama and the complexity that goes with that it's it's okay now my personal life isn't what i really want to talk about no no but, but that's but, but I, I i have a hard time sort of separating the per, the public from the from the private and that's how my that's that's sort of how i promoted things you became a brand you became your own brand yeah my own brand and, yeah accidentally cuz i'm a, i am the i was a reluctant headbanger I mean, if you know my history from reading yeah, books, you know I, I'm a Beatles kid. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I choked up and wept watching Get Back. I, I, it, I was mean, it was the best. Look, most... look behind me. If you look, can you look down? You see that? My George, my George Harrison. Yeah. Dude. Uh, it's, it's a Beatle Lego thing. I have all of them. I just haven't made them yet. I, my Beatles was my first band, too. So. Yeah, it was. It was that's the chicken soup for the rubber soul, Jeff. <laughs> um uh, I think the opening line is, um, I emerged from my mother's womb on July 29th, 1956, but I was born on February 9th, 1964. Right? Yeah. And, and that, what Get Back did was, first of all, it's, it's the Lord of the Rings of, no, no, no uh, Peter Jackson pun intended, it's the Lord of the Rings of music documentaries. It's so breathtaking. It made and, me so happy on so many levels. And the love show is here in Las Vegas. And I'm fortunate enough to have a friend who, yeah. who has been part of the, who, who's worked the room uh, for the last decade. And I've seen it many times. I like to take uh, people that come to town to visit me. I, I'd like to take them to go because you can't not appreciate. If you love music, you have to go to the source uh, you got to go to the beginnings. Mm-hmm. And that's why you know, we're, we're in a city with Elvis Presley. And I'm really excited to see the new Baz Luhrmann film. Yeah, I am too. Uh, Elvis, because Elvis, I know it's so hard when you have these super icons in cultural and in, in artistic history, and you approach them as an artist, like Baz is a magnificent artist, with a new take take a new take like obviously what peter jackson did i mean we've been watching beatles material 
They were right. the most chronicled, recorded, and filmed outfit in the history of music. There's so much, and it gets put out. The box sets, and all the. Remember, Gary Gersh was putting together at Capitol Records the, the, the that anthology box back yeah. in the '90s, and he was telling me stories about. You can't believe the stuff that we're finding. There's just so much, and here's this filmmaker you know from new zealand unearths 50 hours of material that's never been seen but we really didn't know how extraordinary it was the fly on the wall stuff the the, the camera high picking up takes in the corner the the capture of george harrison's leaving the band i love that i love the fact they're teasing him taking it taking it out on him too we should just get clapped in here I the like Billy, Yoko Ono. The fact that Billy Preston saved the entire yeah. session. And he got props for that finally. I think more people need to know about what he said. I've read a million Beatles books, and I know you know all this history, but the fact that Yoko was in there and, and, and they had good times with them. And, and, and Linda. Yeah, and Linda. But I'm saying because Yoko was in Paul, the story was always so bad. Yeah. But you see yeah. them getting along. I think those two invented noise rock at one point, right? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> She, she what, what was it? Maslow, right? Yeah. I mean, she and John were in the Maslow, so her singing comes right out of scream therapy. Right. That's what I'm saying. And, and they, I remember, I had this board tape in the '90s. Some I forgot who gave it to me. Uh, maybe Mike Frazier or so, somehow I got a board tape of Linda doing a vocal in Hey Jude, and she was so off key. And somehow this tape got around, and she took a lot of. Oh, heat I remember hearing that line. Yeah, I remember hearing that yeah. line. Yeah, and I and and I I thought it was like people were mean to her, but I know from conversations with brought with the great photographer Ross Halfin, who had shot mul- infinite to- um, shots for Rip Magazine sessions and covers. He loved Paul and Linda, and he told me that she, that they were the most endearing couple, that she turned him into a vegan, that they were super healthy together. <clears throat> and um, he said, she's just a joy. She was just a joy to be around. And I kind of watching get back. Mm-hmm. I could sort of see that because she's super young. Right. Yeah. And she's coming from this uh, a rather storied family, the Eastman family. you know, And and yet they look so happy to get. I can't tell you how the, when these, when the greats pass and they get there, now they're in their eighties. Now they're all turning 80. You know, Dylan's 81, but, but they can't live for, they just can't live forever. But I, I mourn and grieve and celebrate every pass. I'm just not sure on how I'm going to handle it when Paul McCartney leaves. That's going to be a hard one for everyone. I mean, I think that would be the hardest one. Oh, what? the fact the tour, he, he, I think he healed phenomenal. Dave Grohl. You know what I'm saying? Dave Grohl publicly healing because Dave had to come out sometime after yeah. losing Taylor, which is yeah. so sad. Oh. And whenever yeah. I hear that, I always think of their kids and their family. I don't, if I never got another album from somebody, that's fine. Being a parent, I always think of their family's loss, and that's where yeah. it feels sad. But he brought Dave out yeah. for the first time since then. That's the first step. For him, yeah. for Dave, to, Dave lost two huge people in his life. I mean, those are huge, they're right. iconic people, and he needs to move forward. So he has a family, and he has the rest of his life. You, I will tell you this from the few but very significant 
times I've had with Dave. Um, and I've, and I've been able to hand him both books when they were each one, when they were, when they came out, I was sign and hand them to him. He is one of the most, he's, he's beloved because he is absolutely authentic. Mm-hmm. You see the joy and elation on his face when he's playing. That's exactly how he is. He loves people. Yeah. He's had the same manager, John Silva, since he worked for Danny Goldberg back in the 90s, since the Nirvana days. He's loyal to a fault. And that was an extraordinary loss. Truly was. Because uh, Taylor was loved, too. <clears throat> but, you know, we're not going to discuss why some leave the planet earlier than they should. It's we don't just know, artists really. are yeah. fragile and you don't know what they're going through. And, obvi- you know, I the first person I thought of when Taylor died was Chris, because there were to me, there was the similarities of, you know, there's this they're fighting a shadow. It's it's sometimes it showed up in Chris's music, Black Hole Sun. <clears throat> but a lot of times it's kept very private. I mean, yeah. people, all the public offerings to Taylor was what a gregarious and, and affable and animated, truly loved musician he was and person. And so that makes the loss even harder, right? For fans and obviously for the people close to him. Right. Yeah. And I think people like to think that how they, they, uh, they tie their losses to it too, how they're going to lose, you know, how they lose... I don't think about that. Once the musician's gone, I don't think about a loss of the music. I think about yeah. a loss of them, you know, yeah. which is a huge, huge thing. Um, and I think there's an article that came out afterwards about Taylor from Rolling Stone where he's talking about his drug battle. And, and on some level, it's interesting to hear that kind of stuff. But then, like, one of the things I don't like doing the show, and I, I never do, is I hate when the public beats on musicians or celebrities and they don't know. And I did this one time. Um, I was so, it was so nice. Um, Stephen Pierce, uh, uh, Christy had reached out to me and me and one other person and, and I got to talk to him about when he talked about his, his cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. and it went mm-hmm. everywhere, like it exploded. Um, and I was very grateful I got to share that with him. But one of the things I stopped to say was when he was battling it, he may have had a drink or two or had other medication, he was struggling through cancer stuff. The internet was beating on him about being this and that. And I actually stopped and I said, look, Stephen's not complaining about it. I said, but I'm telling you right now, this is ridiculous. You don't know what people are going through to be bashed them online. If you don't like something, don't like something. But you don't need to bash somebody because they're having their own personal struggles. Sean, this is why I keep the page private, why I'm not looking for an audience. Yeah. People find me, they get me. I'm happy with that. I don't need numbers. It's a mean world. And I'm not, I've never had the constitution to kind of be this public figure. It happened because of the, the alignment of Rip and Headbangers Ball and Hits Magazine and MTV and that that time. But that time is long past. And I haven't been, you know, hustling to use a Larry Flint, a late Larry Flint, my first uh, media mentor. Mentor. Yeah. To 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 uh, to borrow that phrase, I haven't hustled for a very long time. Now, I respect people like Matt Pinfield and and others who who stay really and it, my friend Eddie Trunk, who yep. I love how much energy he has, and we have wonderful hangs usually on the cruise ships on the cruise to the edge. And I have he, to go to one of those. You know, he, I, that, I, I, that's, I, uh. you know, Eddie 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 knows all the metal people, and I've kind of transitioned into where. 
they know me from my history and I have the, the rip fondness for a lot of these artists, but they're still, he's still helping them. Right. Get you know, get cash. He, he, he is a wonderful proponent and he knows more than I'll ever know about that genre. I had a moment and that was it. But on the Prague cruise, he'll often come up to me, goes, Lon, can you help me do an interview with Marillion? And I said, yeah, of course, man, no problem. He goes, cause you know, this, you know, this stuff better than me. I said, yeah, but Eddie, you're so good at talking to artists. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really respect about him. <clears throat> but on the, like two, the, the three, two cruises back, there was the pandemic. So two and a half years passed. He asked me to do an interview with Steve Hogarth from Marillion with him. And I have enormous history with Marillion, which only the fans that really have read kind of my stuff since the early rip, real early rip days know that my first feature article in Rip Magazine in 1987 was not Metallica. That was in 80, that came six, a few months later in 88 with the Jason Newstead. The first road story I ever wrote was on the last fish tour with Marillion clutching at straws, 1987. Really? And I did a road story. So that was the, that was my kind of road reportage. And I had met fish and I, I, I'd fall, I'd love Marillion, you know, script for a jester's tear, Kaylee. Fugazi. As do I, I, I because, it. Because they evoke Genesis to me and anything that evokes yep. Genesis, it's okay in my book. So, so um, when it's so, it just, it's like I said, I'm nonlinear, but when Marillion played um, the Saban Theater a few years ago, I was at the Rainbow with, with Fred Corey from Cinderella. Right. Two nights after the show, I'm at the rainbow with Fred and Steve Hogarth and Steve Rothery from Marillion walk in Steve Rothery, who is to me, I, he's the most Dave Gilmore esque of guitar players in the, in the Prague or rock world going all the way back to pink to the earliest of Pink Floyd. To me, Rothery evokes Gilmore and he's a magnificent guitar player, but these two Steve's and Hogarth took over the vocals in, uh, after fish in like 88 and 88, they come walking into the rainbow and I go, Fred, and I've known Fred since Cinderella was one, you know, they were on their first first cover was Rip magazine. And I love Fred. I've never lost touch with him. He's just so genuine. And we talk hockey and he took me to King games and introduced me to Luke Robitaille, (laughs) who, who was a rip subscriber. Anyway, see, I, I said, Fred, that's Steve and Steve from Morel. He goes, Lon, trust me, you're the only one in here that's going to recognize them. Why don't you say, why don't you say something to him? And I said, well, I'm going to wait. And so they sat down, they started eating. And, and then I, I, I knew the manager then, and I asked him to take over a bottle of red wine to Rothery because he's, he loves red wine he's a connoisseur i learned this on the crew on my first cruise in 2015 i think <clears throat> and so i have a bottle sent over and he turns around with his glass and he toasts me and then fred goes there's your there's your sign go go say hi so i i leave the booth i walk over and i go good vintage he goes thank you man very good and i sit down with them i go 
to Hogarth. I said, Steve, you're not going to remember this, but when Fish left Marillion, I was running a metal magazine called Rip Magazine, and there was a publicist who brought Nirvana to my office years later in 92, but she was your publicist at Capitol. Her name was Lisa Gladfeld. She goes, Lisa Gladfeld. I said, she brought you and Mark Kelly, the keyboard player for Million, to my office, and we went for a expensive Chinese lunch at the Se Yang restaurant around the corner, which years later is where I went to lunch with Nirvana. <laughs> and and she and he goes, We had lunch we had lunch? I said, Yeah, man. And you were you were you had just gotten the gig and you were gonna go in the studio and make seasons in. And um we had just a wonderful conversation. He goes, That's crazy, man. That was a long time ago. And he was so friendly and so cool that I just just let it go. Like I know he didn't. I, I he didn't. It didn't matter that he that, right. that he has no memory. It was just a cool moment. And they're such gentlemen, Englishmen. And we ended up talking about politics and the fact that Brexit was leading to our you know orange apocalypse. And it was a really good conversation. Now I I just say that because like. All these things are just kind of jumbling together as you tap into these moments for me. Yeah. And that's what I really like about talking to somebody like you who isn't well, here you. with like bullet point structure. I, I don't have anything in front of me. I just, I never That's prepared. how I prepared for you. Nothing. That's, no notes. I don't have to prepare. I've lived my life. I know who I want to talk to. I read the book, it was great, but it gave me some more insight. But um, I have this photo that. Just emerged of me and my Aww. of my daughter, which is a Ross Alphin outtake from I think the Injustice for All sessions. I think, look at look at my kid. She's like two. No, this is probably well. I don't know, but how lucky I I actually step back. She's thirty two. Like, my daughter's thirty two now. So that's crazy. Yeah, I'm a, my my youngest is eighteen, and I have a grandson. The when you're talking about with Marillion, I, I was lucky enough recently to talk with Fish. Once again, he does not talk to a lot of people. No, and I love him. And I don't know if you saw the I interview. It, you, we were talking about like political stuff. We were talking about this is his last album. Stuff he's going to start. He wants to start writing. Um, and he was nice. He's like he's like I don't really talk to anybody either, but I liked something about me. He liked that connection. And I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm so thankful. <laughs> like with you and, and 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 but once again there's something about people and connecting you know what i mean and i think oh, some of us are getting it my favorite fish story is i'm on i'm in i'm on the uk tour with anthrax and living color yeah in the fall of 88 <clears throat> and it's groundbreaking because First of all, no one had ever seen anything like Living Color in the UK. Mm -hmm. So Vernon Reed is coming in with his Hendrix-like chops. And Corey, uh, uh, Corey is singing his ass off. They're, they're yeah. like metal. And so the Anthrax fans are, wait a minute, they're scratching their heads. They're still digging it. But I committed to do a cover story on all of them. It's the first time I put two ever, only time I ever put two bands together, every member on the cover of the magazine. So we pull into Edinburgh, Scotland, and I have Fish's contact info 
because of the story I did the year before. Right. So I reach out to it. I have it's there. There were no cell phones or emails or internet back then. This is just I called the number, and I said that I'm coming into Edinburgh. Would you like to? Would you like to meet? Come meet me, and we'll see. Ant. I'll take you to the show in, in, in Edinburgh. He goes. He says, "Lon, I'm taking you out to dinner, and then we'll go to the show." So he. He's, you know, he's six foot eight. He's, he's yeah, he's super tall. Yeah, and his personality is another six feet on top of that. Oh, incredible! So he he meets me, he and we have fish and chips <laughs> and he, and Guinness. He, he introduces me to Guinness, and he takes me to the Star of Lothian in the center of Edinburgh. Shows me there was a song called a brilliant song called Star of Lothian, and it's a sacred spot uh, in history in Edinburgh. And he's telling me stories about his farm and his dad. And, and I bring him to the show. And all the guys in the anthrax, they're not tall. Fish is huge. He goes, oh, my Lon. God. And Scott goes, Next, That's a Scott. <laughs> he goes, Lon, who's that guy? I go, that's Fish. He goes, and, and, all, we're, and, and there's all these fans that are huddled around Fish, like munchkins. Fans are just... He's signing their jeans and their pants. He goes, who is that guy? Everybody knows him. I said, that's Fish. He's from the Man Marillion. He's, he's very famous in these parts. This is his hometown. And he goes, you brought him to the show? I said, yeah, he loves rock. And, and I introduced him to the, to the guys. And he was charming. And the guys were so cool. Because the Anthrax guys are like, they still are like family to me. I mean, Scott and Charlie, I, I just, they're two of my... They're in the A-list people with Fred Corey. I don't yeah. lose touch. I lost touch with a lot. And you only see at festivals at M3 or concerts here in their backstage once in a while. But but I stay in touch with some of, with some of the people whose careers that, that hopefully Rip had a significant part in that. It's like with Rip. No one's talking. It's just like these, everything's online. It's just these nasty things. Why can't like, people just talk to somebody? And I've been so lucky. And then just have a talk you don't and you share positive right stuff. Sean, the, the artists, if they, they, they are committed to their creative process. A lot of them are narcissists. They love, you know, musicians love their gear and themselves and their fans and their chicks. And they're not always in the same, in the same order, but it's, it's hard having that spotlight some of them succeed better than others some fall and they can't handle it the spotlight is bright and burns it's 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 not and if you easy. have a tender soul if you're an artist you generally have a tender yeah. soul which makes it much worse you yeah. you spoke about that with um we talked about tender souls uh steven tyler he well that's another can of worms Right, and that me, is the I'm title. Saying, think, That's the title chapter to Sweet Demotion because he was having his demotion. He was, but yeah. my point is, you showed a good point of him. Is it weird to do you wrestle with yourself when you share that kind of piece? Though this is my only my only journalistic question because I'm not really. <laughs> I want to well, read it. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Because I, I, I always struggle I, with I, sharing I, stuff. I, I don't consciously. I will never throw people under the bus. Not consciously. Um, it's we don't walk in anyone's shoes but our own we right. don't we don't know i mean i got a, a an instagram message 
the other day from a guy I don't know. He follows my stuff. His name is Dan, I think. And he just, uh, he said, were there any artists back in the day that just pissed you off? And it, you just, that just pissed you off. And, uh, and I, you know, I tried to answer it articulately because I didn't want to like drop names of maybe some unsavory moments or instances that I had because they were there. But I will tell you this in all honesty, over those almost a decade that I was at the center of that entire scene, um, I was treated really well by the music community, the industry, and it goes, the industry, the artists, the fans, because it's about relationship building. And my acts, what I've always tried to do and I could have been better at this over the last few years, but I, I have found my spots in pieces I've written that have been published in podcasts. I've done my own podcast, a couple of them, is to share the access. You've stood, you have stood where people can't stand. You've witnessed things. And I feel blessed by that access. I still... You know, I, I, there's no one I hold closer as far as of that world than Metallica. And when they, when they put out their, <clears throat> their black box, uh, Lars asked me to write an essay, personal essay. And it was really funny because I got the phone call while I was in quarantine in Santa Monica in Los Angeles mm-hmm. in a beach house, an empty beach house because I had tested positive for COVID on Christmas, uh, two days after Christmas. <clears throat> now I was just kind of waiting for like this. I was like waiting to die. I thought that, you know, at my age, blood pressure issues. Oh, I'm just going to, and there's so much terror and uncertainty in the world in December of 2020 yeah. that I, I, I woke up like every day, just wondering whether my fever was going to bust and I was going to get a fever and stop breathing and, and stop tasting shit. And I just, I got extreme fatigue, but I never, I never got bad symptoms. And I, I, I did meditation and yoga every morning and I drank constantly. And my daughter got me all this healthy vitamins and she got me Erewhon, this, <laughs> this high end health store. She's sending me over bone broth i go mate this bone broth costs 18 dollars a gallon she goes dad it's the best i go yeah but dad just trust me I go, okay and she got me these drinks that had cbd in them these vibe drinks and and over 18 days i i went through a lot of changes but i i healed i shared some of that on instagram but on the fourth day in i got the call that uh we're putting this black box together and we're near the end of gathering all the uh, testimonials. And there's only a handful, but Lars wants you in the box to write. He wants you to write an essay. And, and I said, I said to Mark Ryder from Q prime, well, you picked a weird time, Mark. Cause I'm like going through something right now. He goes, I said, when do you need it? He says in 24 hours. Oh my God. And I said, okay. <clears throat> um, all right. I, I'll get it done. And I just, I just 
he goes, Lana would mean a lot. I said, I, and I shut, I shut, I, I hung up the phone and I opened up my laptop and just like right there, I just started to write it. And what, what got me was this moment. I always, when I write I, a piece, I always look for my point of entry and my point of entry <clears throat> is usually a scene that I've been blessed to be in that I witnessed. Mm-hmm. So my point of entry was a couple of years ago, I went to Philadelphia to see Metallica play at Wells Fargo. And I wasn't supposed to be at the show because I was in New York city. I had no idea they were playing none, but I I'm online, my Instagram and it says, and I see, wait a minute, Metallica is in Philly tonight. So I in with, extraordinary alignment and serendipity and obviously relationship. I just send out like three or two or three messages. There's two people, my daughter's old boss, Ben from uh, the NRDC and uh, my friend, Larry, who have, we've had many from New Jersey who I have immense yeah. love for. We've had so many concerts together and, and I put this t- group together and we somehow managed to get to Philly and we're there and it's, and it's all coming together and it's just incredible, incredible energy in the room. And the guys are like, I can't believe we're, we're here. Ben had come from, had, had changed his direction to come from DC rather than go back to Brooklyn. He went to Philly. Larry, Larry picks me up in his car, drives from Jersey to Manhattan. We drive out to fit to the Wells Fargo crossing wow. the bridge named for a poet, the Walt Whitman bridge. Yep. <laughs> and here we are. And, oh my God. And the, and, and, um, uh, Brie works for Metallica. She said, uh, meet me here. Lars wants to say hi to you before they go on stage. I'm, okay. So I'm I got my guys. We're in the shadows, the bowels of the arena. There's 18,000 fans just getting ready to get their asses rocked off by the greatest fucking band in the world. And I'm standing by the road cases and the band starts to come out to be prepared before the tunnel. And the drummer leaves the parade to come over to me, my mates, and and his wife Jessica, who's standing there, Jessica Miller, who's standing right with us. Hey, man, I'm glad you could make it. It's great to see you. <laughs> and and he's talking to me, and Ben and, and and Larry are like deer in the headlights. Look, watching this, and 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 we have this exchange, and um, then he walks back, and I wave to James and to Robert and to Kirk, who, and then they go on stage and they do their show. And I just said, as I'm sitting here tying it together and I'm sitting on this in this beach house, this empty house, beach house, wondering whether I'm going to get really sick. And I, I just think that's the moment I'm going to open this piece. That's what I want to share. And then I elaborate the end of the essay and the essay appears. Now, I wrote it in 24 hours. I sent it in a day later, and Mark said, it's beautiful. I sent it to Lars and the guys, and um, it's in the box, along with some rip covers, and which were very, it's very cool that they reprinted 
because that black record was the record that Rip chronicled the making of. It was uh, it was a year of my life, a year and a half to evoke the uh, video, the year and a half in the life of Metallica, which which me and my daughter, who was like nine months old, that I'm holding in my arms when James offers her a beer. And that's where the Nothing Else Matters cameo took place when the, the B-roll was being shot for that, for that, uh, during that, se- during those sessions, that was the summer of, that was a, like a whole year where I would get, I would just visit and be the fly on the wall and share it with the fans. So <clears throat> that's, that was like, wow, I got, I could get this done because I'm inspired by this band who I, who still treats me like family. I mean, as big as they are in Las Vegas a few months ago, Metallica came to Allegiant Stadium. Metallica was playing on a Saturday and Billy Joel was playing on a Sunday. Friday, Saturday, it was back-to-back stadium shows. Now, I've never done that in my life, ever in my life. It's, and now at age, you know, at 65, it's weight. But I went to both. And the first night was extraordinary. And Billy Joel, who I've seen since Turnstile Steward, 76, who is one of my favorite performers of my entire life. It was it was the greatest weekend. And somehow I made it through. And then I, you know, then I wasn't seen for like two weeks after that. But <laughs> and I don't party. It was just the the emotional right. and energetic exhaustion of be, it, getting in and out of the stadium. And, but it was that's what music can do to you it can give you this light it could it could give you this life force that no matter how fatigued or tired or anxious or or lost you think you are when they when those heroes are on that stage when those people whose music is part of your dna they bring you out of it and they lift you up and i guess that's kind of why i at this age i still (laughs) Hey Sean, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna go to Buffalo to see the boys on August 11th. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, upstate New York. That's insane. I got, I got a couple friends there, and these old relationships that are still, are still sacred to me. And when, when you, you, when you have that, you don't, I don't diminish. It does not diminish. No. But you're not a fly on the wall per se. You're a fly on the wall when you're writing an article, but. You know, the artists look at you and they respect you as a friend because you're an honest friend. I'm not trying to be a pun intended, but you, you know, <laughs> as an equal, and you, in what you do in your art, your crafting, but it's, it's more than just that. You know, and, and that line in almost famous, you talk about don't get close to the artist. And I saw um, something recently. I was trying to watch the podcast, but just this one, because um, I don't want to speak like anybody else. They were talking about the thing. Don't trust them. the artists. Just want like, they're trying to shine you on. I don't find that. Well, I don't. Lester think... Bang said that too. William Miller. I know said, that, but I'm saying, and someone else said recently, friends, a real, don't a real thing. Don't be friends with them. Well, now, I wrestled with that, too, because I didn't know whether I was their friend because I was the editor of Root Magazine, or I was their friend because they really cared about me. Now, as the decades have passed, the relationships that have that, that have uh, evolved and stayed strong are with the, the true friends, not just the artists who had pages in the magazine. Now, the distinction is is important, but it's, it's not a vital distinction. You mentioned Stephen Piercy. I mean, he is a survivor, indeed. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
he went through, we're the same age and he went through rough days. I mean, yeah. I, I, I know Steven, <clears throat> I don't stay in close touch with him, but he's a, tr- he's always been a terrific front man. He has great fans. Yeah. He's, and he sounds he, great. And yeah. you know, well, that's and, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, how do they sound now? Can they still sing? Can they still pick up an accent play? Well, that's the problem. Or do they mail it in, Sean? You well, know, that's a whole nother talk discussion. Like, is it just a money grab? Are they mailing it in to kids? Well, that's that's the whole tracks. Are they doing background tracks? And then there's, you know, one of the saddest things right now the world's going through is argumentatively is, is Bon Jovi's voice, you know, and everyone has a take on it. My feeling is, even if he didn't know he's such an honored man that he's running a business and with nobody working in COVID for so many years, if he stopped working, he, he's, he, could, he doesn't have to do it. If he stopped, a lot of families are going to go without food and dinner that work for the Bon Jovi machine. And I don't think he'd hurt those people like that. I think he takes a hit partially because of that, because he wants to take care of people. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my opinion. A, we could go he's a smart, an hour. On no, he's a smart bon, man. My Bon Jovi stories would take up a separate hour, so we're I not going to go there. That's okay. But, but uh, his work ethic is, is extraordinary. Second I, I just did a... Uh, I haven't done a t- didn't do a TV interview for years, but these UK production company found me from London and sent me just such respectful correspondences, and they said they were putting a series together for the A and E for the uh, reels R E E L Z. Oh yeah, yeah. American it was called Frontmen, and they they requested an interview with me about John John Bon Jovi. And I was reticent because I just, I said, you're going to want to talk about Richie and the relationship right. and bad marriage. And, and I said, I just, I just won't go there. I mean, I, I, I did the cover stories in, in, in 91, 89, 91 and 92, uh, the Japan story. The, and they knew all this. And right. she, and the, the producer says to me, <clears throat> we just want, we want you to be to talk about the, his process and his and and his relationships with and how much he, and the music and, and his magic as a front man and and I said well if it's about the music then okay and then I so I acquiesced and I did it and I said I guess it appeared in the in the reels. Uh, on, I didn't watch any. I didn't see any of the frontmen series. I didn't even see the one I was in because I don't really want to look at myself on television anymore. <laughs> I could look at YouTube clips of me as an animated, long-haired, bearded fool on Headbangers Ball. Friend at large. Hey, check this out, dude! So my arms waving. You're endearing, I, I, though. I can see that. Yeah, that's that. That belongs in a vault, and people can archive it and find it. You know, unearth it every now and then to to show me holding up the black record in my first ever segment look at it see the snake it's huge this is the new album they gave me the vinyl to debut my very first headbangers ball it was august 1991 and they cliff bernstein and peter mensch sent me the cover to debut it it was what what was like Wow, thanks guys. Yeah. So I that was my launching pad for two years of and I never had a script either, Sean. Even then I just made like notes and new records would come out. I wore a different t-shirt because I wanted to support 
Right. The bay. And I'll do that and sometimes. That, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, support that's Narcos. what. Same well, you got, okay, so I just I just saw Jurassic World yesterday. Okay, well, yeah, this is um, Sam. Jurassic he plays Kingdom. With, he, he plays with, um, you know, Faster Pussycat and, and okay. Dorothy, and he's got a work ethic for a young uh, guitar slinger. You got to check him out. I believe in supporting the artists. That that movie in THX, it was almost as loud as a Metallica concert. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost too much. I mean, it's breathtaking, but it's almost too much. <laughs> I wouldn't wear my hearing aids at the time. But I, I have them hearing aids. I, sometimes I, 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 don't I love dinosaurs because I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Can you relate to Billy? Relate to Billy? Yes. That's definitely. But they assembled all the characters from the first film, which was wonderful. Yeah. Just wonderful. And I'm a huge Bryce Dallas Howard fan. She she made a film that M. Night Shyamalan made uh, that is not well regarded in his canon, but I think it's a wonderful film. Which one? Uh, it's called The Lady in the Water. And she is this kind of mystical mermaid character that's in the apartment complex and and paul giamatti is the is the sort of kind of semi-autistic writer manager of the building who's searching for something and he she becomes this muse to him it's a it's i'll tell you you would love it this is the takeaway from our conversation you're gonna watch that movie and you're gonna love it i guarantee it because it's a, it speaks to art, it speaks to writers, and it speaks to the unknown, which is which Shyamalan does all the time. He speaks. Right. He made the greatest movie about synchronicity in the modern era is Signs, and I've seen yeah. it about twenty times because that's what that's about. I mean, how does his son survive? Because because he had asthma. Because he was he 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 didn't get the poison in his lungs. That's how. That's the synchronicity, and that it's was, about fear. That was yeah. the one in the beginning too, right? From the scene, and I think about it a lot. So with, when the uh, the car accident, he actually stars it, and there's like a pole goes through someone's chest in the beginning. Is well, that, that movie. That's, it, it's the flashback is that his wife right. dies in a car well, that's wreck because she I was out. Because she was out for her walk. Right, but but that I think of that scene time. every now and then. Though it always pops in my head. I don't know watch why. Watch it. Watch it again. It's it's also. To me, the first thing I loved came out in the summer of '02, when I was wandering a lot. Boy, I was wandering, and I was in New York. saw it the saw it first time in New York City, and the uh, when I was at Arista in '94, '95, and I was scouting and trying to sign bands, and I signed the Bogmen, who were still my friends after decades. They never made it big, but they're just the most beautiful guys they've all had you know new different careers i could tell you this is a good story so when i'm i'm literally bleeding emotionally away from my kid away from my only home i've ever known and i'm going through the early days of my separation and divorce in las vegas and i get a call from a friend of mine mark joseph mark joseph I helped him get a deal for a book called Faith, God, and Rock and Roll when I was working for Merck Mercuriatus at Sanctuary Music doing publishing in his publishing end of the UK. I went to the UK for three weeks in 2002, and I worked out of, out of London 
and I just I helped nurture some broker some book deals for the publishing and the, the the book publishing end of sanctuary music. And one was a book called Faith, God, and Rock and Roll by Mark Joseph, which Alice Cooper wrote the foreword to. And um, so here's a couple years later, and he's been he's been working in the film business. And he invites me to a screening of a film that Mel Gibson is making that doesn't have a distributor. That's it's not even finished. There isn't even a final cut, but there's a rough cut that he wants certain people to see. And he wants to gather musicians together. So he invites me. And this is, this is in like the winter, probably November of 2003. And I'm just a month into my pain my suffering of this change of life and we we meet i go drive to la to this icon pictures office on wilshire boulevard and mel gibson is showing me and a bunch of musicians the passion of the christ really yeah and wow. he's got i remember i think dave mustaine was there i think um well, one of the pod guys was there there were some christian based i was gonna say those are all guys that kind of faith there were faith of uh, jars of clay guy, maybe there were, there were faith based artists sitting around this table and me and my friend Rex, who I brought with me. And we're watching this. And it's at the end of the film, he Gibson, we're just, it's, it's so hard to watch. So he says, any thoughts? And I swear to you, I raised my hand and I go, well, I've, probably the only jew in the room but <laughs> but i think the film's about forgiveness and gibson stop, looks me right in the eye and says thank you that's exactly what it's about and then other people chimed in and we had just a nice exchange people started to leave gibson goes into the kitchen to get a coke out of the refrigerator and I walked up behind him and I said, uh, you know, Signs is one of my favorite movies. You were great in that. And he turns yeah. around, he looks at me out, he says, did you see Charlie Sheen do me in Scary Movie? He nailed me. I swear he said, <laughs> he nailed me. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that is, oh, he, he, he nailed he me. Nailed me. <laughs> and I just laughed. I know the Gibson took a lot of heat for his anti-Semitism. He did, but maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe it was a bad moment he was having. I don't know. But what I exchanged with him was, was very, was very real. And it was brief. I haven't seen him since, but science is an important film to me. I, I think so really. too. It's, it's about is... fear and faith and synchronicity. And Oh, I know where I was going, Sean. So while I'm at Arista, I get a tape in from this from this musician named Corey Sipper. It's a demo tape, and it's got four four or five songs on it, and I listen to it. And the first song is called Crop Circles. And that was my introduction. I said, I love this song, but what is what are crop circles? Then I started to look into it. Yeah. Oh my God. And that's how signs opens. It opens with crop. the crop circles. Yeah. And okay. So we that's were enjoy, we were enjoying crop circles back then too, because it was so amazing back then. And 
you know, oh, where it's coming mysteries. from. It is a the mystery. Mysteries, man. And now there's all this like UFO stuff coming, becoming unclassified and disclosed. It's a very exciting time. Of course, to me, if, if I was an extraterrestrial and I was looking at our planet right now, I'd pass. <laughs> I pass. Maybe we're just like junk TV to them. You know, just... we're, we're the bat. We're the bachelor to them. Yeah, exactly. We are. We're one of those shows. We're, just... we're pointless, vapid, stupid reality television. Like what? Yeah. Let's let's go, guys. We're out of here. With all the intelligence that you see, all the intelligence that we've done, and then what we do with it, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, oh, man. I want to thank ever, you. Yeah, did, did you? One more. Let me just leave no, you. No, no, I just didn't know. We'll, 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 we'll do. We'll do. We'll, we'll do this again. I, I, I really appreciate uh, your time and, and the and the nature of your. Well, I'm more about your time is what it is. I'm sorry, I don't know your time. I could talk for yeah, days. You know, I ain't that busy. Um, Interstellar. That's one of the most. I think that's one of the most important movies ever made. Let the takeaway be: go back and watch Signs. Yeah. Watch the Lady in the Water, mm-hmm. and please watch Interstellar. It's Christopher Nolan's 2001. It's an absolute masterpiece, and there's so much going on about our humanity and how we survive our darkest moment, and it's cosmic and it's 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 it imagines things, but it's also it is also about synchronicity and it's a, it's a, and it's a it's about a father and a daughter it's about a relationship it's it's welcome a, kind of every everything at the core is about relationships it is well i was going to say the, the other thing i've been thinking a lot because i'm a space nerd myself um jody foster oh. contact oh my god you know that's one of my favorite why did why did lon and joyce friend send their daughter Megan to the Lelice Francais private French school when she was six, six years old. Why did we, why did we send her to elementary and middle school at the Lelice? Because they showed us a video presentation and Jody Foster was one of their most storied alumni. Oh, and really? We, and we looked at each other. We were trying to find the right school for Megan in LA and we we looked at each other and we, and we just said hey it's good enough for Jodie Foster it's good enough probably for my daughter favorite, probably my favorite movie and, and she's done and I totally get it I would say that to tie those two together Jodie Foster Mel Gibson and The Beaver that was a dark comedy that was enjoyable did you see it no oh that's my takeaway my cinematic takeaway it didn't get big reviews it was like Mel Gibson was talking through like a puppet and he was having like a breakdown sort of. Wait, what's it called? I think it's called the beaver. I have to look. I got my. Like leave it to beaver? The beaver? Yeah. yeah like every entendre you'd ever say. Sean, um, we, could, we could do an hour just on contact. Dude. That movie is so important to me. Carl Sagan. That movie is so important. We have so much in common. I think we could be do karate in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shabaka. Masks, you know. I st- I still watch first season Star Trek episodes when I'm sad. I go back and I watch the City on the Edge of Forever, the only episode written by Harlan Ellison. Or I'll go back and watch 
uh, the uh, the episode Shorely because it was written by T Theodore Sturgeon. When I got the Hustler in 1982, the then editorial editor and director Bruce David said, "You're going to be the book editor." I said, "We have books." He goes, "We review books. You're going to be the editor." And I said, "Well, who writes the reviews?" Theodore Sturgeon he said, "He's sci-fi writer." He goes, "Yes." He's going to, because the editorial director was a sci-fi nerd like me, and we connected on that. Yeah. And and so for about six months, I got the manuscripts, uh, like, typed on a Smith Corona on paper from Theodore Sturgeon, who wrote a great book called uh, More Than Human, and he wrote a book called The Dreaming Jewels. Sturgeon, and he wrote that episode shortly from the Star Trek episode, where it's it's one of my favorites. Where the you know they come out of the ground and they recreate. It's a it's, he sees Alice Bones sees Alice in Wonderland at the beginning. He sees the hair. It's such a it's such a great episode, but um, yeah, and I, and Sturgeon would come to my office and he looked, you know, he looked like a rabbi, a really long beard. You know, it's it's something I I got to meet some of the most just eccentric. I met George Clayton Johnson, who wrote wow. many of the best Twilight Zone episodes, including Ocean's Eleven. I and, love the Twilight Zone. And, My favorite one is, yeah. the, is the library one, when he breaks the glasses. Well, that that's, yeah, Henry Bemis. And um, he's, what's he's in the vault. It? He's in the vault when the right. bomb goes off. Yeah. And the last thing he does is he breaks. That's the most wickedest irony in the history. Of, it's the of best, Hollywood. though. It's one of my favorite ones he, out of all of them. He goes, I've got time. All he wanted to do was read. I know. And then he leads over to pick it, and, and, and oh, his glasses break. And, he's, and there's no way out of that. That's it. He's that is, doomed. But it's set up perfect. It's a perfect style. Um, who played Burgess Meredith, right? Oh, is that who it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. He, he played. He he was in two of the greatest episodes. He also played uh, uh, Romney Wordsworth in the episode where uh, he was obsolete, the obsolete man, Fritz Weaver as the head of the state, and he says, "You're a librarian. You're obsolete." And he blows him up at the end and turns. <laughs> the, the, I could talk Twilight Zone all day for you too. You know that's upstate New York. It's part of my attraction. To upstate New York is the Interlaken area where uh, Rod Serling. Uh, is buried i've been to his been to his there's there's no hoopla around his gravesite. it's just a plaque on the ground and I've been he's not there. there anymore though so that's that's the thing with graves and you know no, I'm like, he's not, no. no so i'm saying graves people go to grave sites i don't even go visit my relatives because i'm like they're not there they're not there they're gone if, uh, if we had steve walsh here he'd be singing dust in the wind you know my dad's gonna be 93 next week and I want to be cremated. Dust, ashes, to ashes, yep. dust to dust. Yeah, pretty much. I want to. Do, I want, not only do I want to do that. I want. I told my kids I want to um, cremated, and then when they do a service for me, I want to make sure there's fans, and I want somebody to spill it, so I go in the air, and everybody consumes me. <laughs> my one come back in your face like the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Everybody coughing like, ah, oh. they're like, ah, oh, Sean, stupid Sean, one last time, get everybody all worked up. God damn it, Walter! Does everything <laughs> yeah. have? To be yeah. about Vietnam, we, yeah, yeah, we all ate you. Thank you, Sean. That is our remembrance. <laughs> That's how I want to go out. We'll take you up to Leo Carrillo Beach, where yeah. he, where 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 Walter is 
spreading the ashes and they blow back into his into the dude's face. That is so funny, but that's so true. We just had relatives that we did that too. We were at the beach. We actually had to stop for a minute and turn before we all wore the beach before because it was so windy and we were in um, uh, Maine. Yeah, it was the same same thing. Yeah, we're like, oh, we should stop for a minute. It never was a lot. This has been awesome. I, I do. I, I'll take you up on it. You want to come back on? Um, I like to just talk about the weave and the tethering of life with music in the arts and the heart and the soul. To me, music is food to the soul. And it sounds so cheesy, but it's always it's, it's always helped me. It's always made me get through being autistic and being being different and going through different things with depression and different things. What was always there for me? Music. I can yeah. name an album. For a, or for a death, for a funeral, for a yeah. happy moment. I can name, you know, I'm sure you could do, we could do side by side. Absolutely. And, and so to me, it's, 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 it's bigger and it's smaller and it's nothing. If you get that. Well, it's Pete Townsend. Nothing it is. is everything. Nothing, yeah, well, everything we'll... is, nothing is, nothing is, everything, everything is, nothing is, everything. That is, that is the perfect thing we're going we're gonna to end on. Say thank goodbye, you. everybody. I want to thank right, you. Man. Take care. Peace out.